A lot of my older covers were like that, where it was just a dude. For Ride, I'm redoing it because um, they were written as, you know, curvy girl romance. And I wanted the books to have characters look like women do in real life. I met AC James, as one does on the internet, on Facebook. If I remember correctly, we both have mutuals, and she commented on an Amber Heard Johnny Depp post. This was last year when Heard and Depp were going through the Virginia court system uh, for that defamation case. And I'm going to be honest, I was astounded by how savage some parts of Romance Landia were uh, toward, toward Heard. It was frustrating, actually, and after going through several years of Me Too and and all of those horror stories about women being savaged by powerful men, sort of like being told in the media, I was pretty shocked at the vitriol being spewed at Heard. Depp was given a really big pass. Depp's fans were legion, and their voices not only drowned out the voice of Heard and her supporters, but they were actively engaged in cyberbullying the actress. Whatever you think of her and Depp's relationship, the bottom line is there was a pow- power imbalance there, and it wasn't in her favor. Depp has uh, well-documented substance abuse problems. He has behaved erratically in the past. Um, I suggest you look up a Rolling Stone cover story from a few years ago that uh, well-documented his troubling behavior and how he was cocooned by a lot of enablers, which we are learning time and again that is not the best environment for people who have substance abuse problems. Um, both both Depp and Heard, uh fought and they both fought dirty but ultimately he was the one with the money and the flex in Hollywood she had way more to lose and lose she did anyway AC was the lone voice of support amongst the herd vitriol so I immediately contacted her and asked her to join me for a steam scenes episode this one comes with a bunch of content warnings we're talking candidly about substance abuse abuse in relationships and power dynamics But there's plenty of fun stuff too. For InstaLove fans, we dig into the biological response that happens. Take that, Insta-haters. And we stand some alien romance as well, especially when I read a steamy book from her, a steamy bit from her book, Nin, Earth Girls Aren't Easy, which is book one in her intergalactic dating agency series. Before we get to the interview, can you do me a favor? Can you rate and review Steam Scenes in your favorite podcast app? It helps other romance lovers discover the podcast, which helps me keep the lights on around here. Okay, now on to the interview. New York Times and USA Today bestselling author A.C. James writes contemporary romance, paranormal romance, and science fiction romance books for adults, and erotica, including Eternal Ever After, rebranded as Eternal Lover, which was featured in the best-selling Spice Box Anthology. Her Ever Dark Immortal series, which begins with Eternal Lover, has been described as brimming with sensuality and romantic and sizzling hot. The Isle of Horse Shifters series starts with Ride Awakening and is lighthearted that is a joy to read from beginning to end. Julie resides in the Philadelphia suburbs with her adoring husband, Ron, 
also known as Mr. A.C. James, who loves her imaginative yarns and punny sense of humor. She's also a domestic violence advocate and discusses intimate partner violence and addiction to raise awareness on social media and through her writing. Many of her books include themes like alcoholism, addiction, or second chance romance, such as Finding Her Bearing, which was written as part of Millie Tatum's paranormal dating agency world. She spends most of her time drinking large vats of coffee while wrangling kids by day and writing by night. Recovering video game beta tester and tech geek who grew up going to cons and watching SmackDown. There's probably some cosplay pictures around somewhere of her dressed up as Bloodberry from Saber Marionette J. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> uh, just don't tell anyone. That's between us. <laughs> I was like, when I was going through your bio, I was like, oh, she got me on that one. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's, it's a very old school um, anime from, I want to say, late 90s. Don't quote me on that. I have I have no idea what year that came out, but it, it's really super fun. It was It was a cute one. Excellent. My other half might know that he watches a lot of anime. I'm sort of like, you know, every once in a while he'll be like, oh, yeah, you'd probably like this. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I just never get around to it. <laughs> Completely understandable. <laughs> so, AC, I am so happy you're here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. This is actually my first podcast. So, I'm really excited to be here. Poppin' cherries right and left around here. That's what we do. Um, so I guess, I, you know, I just kind of feel like let's just go right into how we sort of like online met. Because um, this is, I was so impressed. Um, apparently we have some Facebook friends in common. And um, this was doing during the whole Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Right. And this particular person came out in support of Depp and you had a response to it that I thought was so smart and measured and also like calm and intelligent and put the your point of view across so beautifully and succinctly and I was like I need to I need to know this person and so that's when I reached out to you um but th that's kind of like how we met and I definitely want to talk about that um yeah. But let's put a pin in that sucker. Sure. And I want to ask you my very first question of when did you realize you wanted to become a writer? Uh, well, um, I'm hyperlexic, which basically means that I read from a really early age. I was diagnosed with autism later in life. Um, they didn't know a lot about autism, especially not in women during the 80s. Uh, right. Women are like much better at masking, forcing ourselves to make eye contact, mimicking social behaviors. And if your autism diagnosis doesn't include language or cognitive impairment, it's a lot easier to blend in and pass yeah. neurotypical. You know, it, it just, it comes at a pretty high mental cost. Um, so I escaped into books and video games because it was easier. The, uh, the playground was like too bright too loud and I had no idea how to relate to other kids especially other girls boys were much more accepting because I was nerdy and I spoke their language so right, right. <laughs> um, I'm kind of curious how did you end up getting the diagnosis like were you like there, were you finally like there is something wrong here and let me just go through those sort of honestly it's it's like a gauntlet right with <laughs> often with the medical and you know our medical well industry um, but my daughter autumn um when she was i want to say eight years old 
her aunt Rose um, pulled me aside in her garage. She's like, you know, I think that Autumn might have autism. And I'm like, get the hell out of here. I'm like, she's not autistic. I'm like, she does really great in school. She's really good with reading. And then um, we got a phone call from Mr. Butler at her school. And Mr. Butler said, you know, you really need to have a conversation with your daughter because we were having social studies and I had to explain to her why it's not okay to launch into um, a spiel about her political beliefs, especially about Donald Trump. And I'm like, oh, okay. And we started noticing that she was having some issues with social cues and relationships with peers. So we started to explore testing and they had me filling out her paperwork and answering all these questions. And then I started to think, I'm like, I'm doing the interview with the autism testing place for my daughter. And I start telling this woman, you know, these are a lot of the same characteristics that I have. Yeah. And she said, well, you know, um, maybe we should start by testing you first, because usually if you have a first degree parent who is autistic, it's, it's more likely because it's highly genetic. So Hmm. I, I started going through the testing process and they, they told me that, yeah, um, you're autistic. So, wow. (laughs) I, um, it was, it was a little surprising and it was a kind of like an aha moment, but then it was also um, a grieving process. Cause I look yeah. back at a lot of moments in my life where I'm like, Oh, Oh, that, that makes so much sense now. And yeah, it came to like a different sort of understanding of it. Yeah. And then now I'm like wondering how many times people have invited me to like a lunch or like going out and I'm like, Oh, go have fun. I'll see you later because I didn't realize they're inviting me along too. And I'm just, I'm not as good with people as I am with computers and writing and books. And mm-hmm. my daughter's the same way. She, during COVID finished so many trilogies, it's not even funny. And a 300 hour, uh, programming certification whoa (laughs) oh my god how old is she she will be 14 in november holy shit that's super impressive (laughs) yeah she's um in an advanced ela um gifted class this year and um it she's she lights up my world she's amazing that's incredible. I, yeah, I imagine it must be there. Like, if on, that, that sort of, if only I knew, right? Like, <laughs> I, I imagine there's got to be some of that. Like, oh, if only I knew, then this, you know, because you're like, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. And then you're like, oh, if I knew then, I could have done this or I would have done this differently. I suppose there's, is there a lot of that? Yeah, there, there's a lot of that. Um, there's also a lot of. Um, I'm a lot more forgiving of myself. It took like an entire year post-diagnosis to get to that point where oh, wow. I'm, I'm more gentle and accepting of things than I was before because now I look at it differently. I have more insights into why I operate the way that I do. Right, right. So, right. so, so you were 
like sort of like a reader on steroids when you were a kid. And how did that translate to writing? At what point did you say, oh, I think I'm going to write? Um, well, when I was in elementary school, I was writing um, things in, it started out as like a journal and a diary. And then it became, um, at a certain point, it turned into really, really crappy poetry. And <laughs> we all have one of those, I think. <laughs> And, and, and then it turned into um, short stories and, and novellas. And I started formally writing, I think, around 2012, 2013. Okay. So I, I joined a writing group and it, it kind of went from there. It became an outlet for me and a tribe of people that I could socialize with and not feel so awkward because let's be real writers are really really awkward to begin with <laughs> yes yes <laughs> go to my tiktok you'll see that yes <laughs> so, so me kind of like fitting into that realm was a lot easier for me um you know yeah I can totally get that I completely understand like because sometimes I'll like in that social situation and I'm good like I'm pretty good socially but sometimes I'm just like super weird I don't know how to I don't even know how else to describe it like I'm just super weird and I have this sort of oh get me out of here feeling <laughs> like, like yeah. I just want to be home <laughs> I I can relate to that a lot <laughs> um so did you always write romance or romance were you romantically inclined um yes and no some of the short stories when I was younger tended to be towards the horror genre okay. I, I, I read very very widely when I was a kid I read a lot of horror I read a lot of science fiction I read a lot of fantasy and I, I read romance too I I think that <laughs> I started reading romance uh, from sneaking books off of my babysitter Sherry Love's bookshelf yeah that that's actually her last name but it was spelled L-U-V <laughs> <laughs> That's a great last name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she really loves steamy romances, especially the historical ones. And right. then I fell in love with LJ Smith way before the CW turned her Vampire Diaries series into a TV show. So that's that's kind of where my love of romance and then it combining with otherworldly kind of settings, that's mm. how it came about. Okay. Um, because I, you know, I'm, I mean, you're my first alien romance writer, um, on this podcast, which I'm wow. super excited about. I know like monster romance and alien romance are such huge subgenres that like, but for some reason I have not talked to anybody who is writing alien or monster romance. Oh, wow. I, yeah, yeah. I know monster romance is very very trendy right now I haven't actually I've I've wanted to read a few but like I I have not ventured there yet uh, I ended up writing the stories I have coming out this fall um, is going to be some sci-fi alien romance because Tasha Black is a friend of mine and I was supposed to write a story for the multi-author intergalactic dating agency um, oh my god <laughs> I think I've heard of that and it always makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and then I kind of, I stopped writing during my divorce 
And I'm just getting all my books back up now with like new covers and expanded anniversary editions because I'm no longer with this book distributor that I was with before. And so like this year I'm pulling like a Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman and I'm like, I say who, I say when, I say how much. So Good for you. So, okay. So how long have you been, well, how many books do you have out? Uh, right now, not a lot because I'm in the process of getting them back up. In fact, okay. if you go to my Goodreads profile, it probably shows way more um, books than are available right now um, because they were with a distributor and now I'm I'm putting them back out and I'm I'm going to be all in with indie. So excellent. So it, it feels like you might be. Are you rapid like rapid re-releasing, which I know is such a hot strategy. I'm probably not going to stress myself out. Yeah, I, don't, I don't blame you. I'll, I'll probably do like one a month and um, my new books and then my re-releases all start in September. Amazing. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited about it, especially for the new covers. My current husband, he graduated from um, the Art Institute in Philadelphia Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's actually like helping me with a lot of the new cover art and the redesign. And he's, he's madly talented. I love him. So. That's fantastic. It's nice when you have a spouse that can like jump in and sort of like help with that stuff, oh. you know, cause, cause it's like, it's so important. The covers and the this, like, like all of that matters. It's, it's really nice having a husband who is emotionally supportive in that way too, because yeah. You know, it takes, I guess, a lot of um, self-confidence to be okay to like sit down with your wife and go through, you know, Shutterstock or deposit photos and you're like looking at man candy together. So (laughs) That is true. I do think like sometimes, you know, my husband will kind of like wander by the computer when I'm going through the stock photo sites and he's always like, and I'm like, you don't understand. Like, it is really just like, look at, like, I'm not drooling. I am like literally like, like, like you look at the pictures differently. Yes. It's very, very analytic. Yeah. Like you completely look at these images very differently than like just sort of if you're just, you know, oh, man candy, you know, it's really not like that. No, no, it's not. A lot of people don't seem to get that, though. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I know I've been looking for a new cover um, for at some art. I have a, you know, a new book coming out. I'm looking at some art. And I'm like and it's like, you know, these men. Yes. Aesthetically, they're very good looking, but it's like they don't have the right look. Yeah. And, and so you're sort of like filtering through and to try and find the right look. And so it's like, nah, nah, nah. And I don't think that people quite get that. Like it's really actually not as pleasurable as people assume. I hate having to look through stock, um, you know, look through photos for, right. for my cover art because it takes hours. It get, And it gets tiring after a while. And you find like the perfect photo where they have a great body but then the face, the head doesn't work. Right. So yeah, or, then you have to have like your, your designer do a head swap or, you know, something like that for you. Oh, I never even thought about the head swap. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you can do a head swap. Like one of the most recent cover redesigns, um, it was actually for a curvy girl romance. So it's really hard to find really um, good looking guys posed with, plus size models. 
Right. So we took two separate photos and combined them. And then it becomes hard to make it look like they're engaged with one another because that's key because it's romance. So we found like a separate photo where his head was like looking a different direction. So we swapped this model's head for his own head to make it look like he's looking at her. I know it's like pretty wild what we have to do, but I, you know, I don't do like dual covers. I just have the dude um, because I, part of, part of it is because I have such a hard time just finding the one person. I'm like, how the hell am I going to find two? A lot of my older covers were like that, where it was just a dude for ride. I'm redoing it because um, they were written as, you know, curvy girl romance. And I wanted the books to, have characters look like women do in real life. Yes. So aesthetically, that's what I was kind of going for. Um, right. It might not be as popular or sell quite as well, that I'm not sure yet. But I just really wanted to do something positive for body image. So that's why I'm kind of changing it up when I do the re-release. Actually, I think Curvy Girl Romance is actually really big. Um, you know, nobody really wants to read, you know, they, they don't want to read about the skinny, perfect blah. You know what I mean? Like they want to see themselves reflected in the books. And I've, I've noticed that there is a real trend towards curvy girl romance and it's very specific and people are actually out there very much looking for it. Oh yeah. It's the same thing with, um, interracial romance too, because back in the eighties, all of these romance novels, they, they featured characters that were all white. Right. You know, women of color, they want to see relationships that look like the the ones that they're in. They want to see themselves represented in the stories. So it's the same kind of thing. And I think that romance has changed a lot over the years where now it's more realistic and readers have way more expectations than they used to. It's, Writing romance is not easy. People think that, oh, no, no, it's just a sexy story, but it's it's way more than that. I'm so glad that you brought that up um, because it, it, it really is. It's about, um, you know, and I think if anything sort of like mirrors our current world right now, it's like, oh, God, no, this is this is all coming out wrong. Hi, awkward, um, <laughs> as we were saying. But, like, when you're looking at sort of, like, m- the mirroring of contemporary society, I think that you see a lot of that in romance. Um, and while a lot of it is sort of, like, fantasy-based, it's rooted in the here and now, and it's rooted in a reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that it gets a really bad rap because it's hard to walk a fine line. Um, you want to also represent characters that are real. You mm-hmm. want stories that are sex positive and right. are empowering for women, but then there's also subgenres of romance that, and it can go really wrong really fast um, right? if it's not written the right way. But, you know, it is, part of it is fantasy and certain situations are ways that women can explore things that they wouldn't necessarily do in real life because (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with it that they, they wouldn't want to do, but they want to fantasize about it. So it becomes a safe place for them to do that. 
Right. Like, like Dubcon and Noncon, I know that that gets a lot of shit, right? And I don't know that I would be able to write it. I'm intrigued by it, but I don't know that I would be able to write it. But the fact is, like, you know, don't yuck on someone's yum here. Like, there is a reason why people are attracted to that. It doesn't mean that they want to go out and, you know, have, like, non-consensual sex. Right. It just means that there, this is a, way, a safe way to sort of live in a fantasy, to sort of have a very safe fantasy. It's almost the same. It's the same with horror, right? Like yeah. nobody wants to get like murdered by Jason at, at the lake house, right. you know, <laughs> like, like nobody wants that, but it gets your, you know, when you watch the movie, it gets your adrenaline going and you, there, there is something appealing about being scared. Well, it's like, you know, writing a, uh, a sex scene, it's not just about like the physical chemistry. I mean, I mean, it's a big part of it, right? But it's about the emotions. It's yes. what's going on in the characters' heads. There's, there's a lot of choreography going on. Um, and it's actually not much different from writing a good sex scene. But, <laughs> okay, so I'm about to write an, an alien reverse harem next year. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> That sounds awesome. Because <laughs> I got to say, I've never even read an alien romance until I read your scene. And I was like, oh, there's something to this alien romance thing. <laughs> like, I was just like, anyway, go on. <laughs> but yeah, I remember like a long time ago, my ex-mother-in-law was like, you write porn. And I'm like, um, there's actually mm. a huge difference between erotic romance and porn because the reverse harem, all the sensation, all the pleasure is... For her, mm -hmm. three hot aliens worshiping her body. It's it's the direct opposite of porn because a gangbang. That's all about his pleasure. That's all about his pleasure. See now, here's where we. Okay, this is this is me. I'm getting on my soapbox. I'm actually. Um, I don't know if you know Mia Michelle. She writes uh, like gorgeous BDSM, gorgeous BDSM romance, and um, I'm taking part in an anthology that she's doing. Um, when this whole Roe versus Wade thing came down and, um, and I'm talking, you know, we're going to be donating the money. I think, I think we're going, it's going to the national organization for women. I think I'm not entirely sure where the money is going, but we're Is donating the money. The center for reproductive rights. Is that what I don't remember. I think she said now, but I'm not entirely sure. So um, gotcha. I have to like go double check, but it is going to be sort of, you know, about, you know, romance writers responding to the Roe v. Wade overturn. And I was like, you know, going, well, what can I say? What can I say? What can I say? And I was like, you know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about why it is so subversive for like why we are why we are not allowed to have female pleasure, because that's what it's down to. Right. Like yeah. we are not allowed. We are not allowed to feel good. We are not allowed to take pleasure in sex we are or food because we're supposed to be skinny or you, do you know what I mean like it's like yeah. it's, it's always there's always like this thing where it's like women are not allowed to have pleasure that is the male's domain and this Roe v. Wade it's just almost like puts that stamp on it right we are vessels you know we're just receptacles for sperm essentially um and I and I and I feel like romance is like the antithesis of that because we are celebrating women's pleasure and we're saying go go have an orgasm it's fucking awesome absolutely i uh i think that women are taught 
and this is from like a very young age, we're taught to feel shame uh, yeah. about so many things, um, yeah. about our bodies, about our sexuality. Because the reality is when you get to be a teenager and, and you're in high school, it's always, you know, he's a player, but she's a slut, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so we have... Um, we have actually, and this was one of the things that was really bothering me a lot when I started doing this independent study in college um, called Women in Law and Lit. And I already knew about this. I knew about a lot of the laws that were older ones that were on the books about, you know, how a woman has to resist to the right. utmost for it to be classified as, as rape, you know? <sighs> so there are a lot of things with you know, consent and domestic violence. And it really, it didn't, it didn't actually surprise me when I saw the stuff that was happening with the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp case. It did make me feel um, disappointed, but I wasn't actually surprised about, about any of it, you know? Okay. So what, what didn't, I guess, I mean, I suppose I would say the reaction, I don't know. I still was kind of surprised the whole, I honestly, I felt I, I I felt blindsided a bit by the whole thing. I really wasn't following it exactly yeah. because I was like, you know, I figured she was going to win. So I just, you know, like I just was like, because he had lost whatever he, whatever it was in in Britain yeah, that he did, yeah. he lost that, and that was sort, and the, and so you know, the analysts or whatever were going on TV and saying, well, he's going to lose this as well, and I was like, okay, great. Um, so I didn't really pay any attention, and then all of a sudden it was like, whoa, 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 what just happened? So there's this really great book, and I read it for um, my independent study at Widener, and it's called Credible, Why We Doubt Accusers and Protect Abusers. And it's written by an author and former prosecutor, Deborah Turkenheimer. Okay. And it it focuses more on sexual assault, um, but that's linked to domestic violence. And as we know, um, Johnny Depp allegedly penetrated Amber Heard with a bottle of alcohol. Yeah. And I read through the UK libel case where he sued the son and the judge really applied common sense and looked at the facts. It wasn't this popularity contest and smear campaign that played out in the American courts. Um, In fact, the details about her sexual violation they weren't included in the public record. They were alluded to as being part of a private one, but it it was too private. And then, you know, he didn't win. So he decided to sue her in America and the case was live streamed. You know, the judge made a huge mistake. You know, she made it a spectacle. Now I'm not saying domestic violence against men is very, very real. It's something that actually my husband and I, we deal with um, because his relationship with his ex-wife, she had, well, she has a drinking problem and we no longer do joint events because of unpredictable behavior. She would scream in his face, you know, the mental and like emotional abuse she inflicted, uh, something he explored in therapy. And, you know, she still uses the kids as leverage or tool for control. And it's, it impacts their, their lives too, you know? Yeah. Women, women do things too. There's, there's gaslighting, there's manipulation, but that's not what I saw happening in the Depp versus Amber Heard case. 
you know, when a woman like comes forward with an allegation of abuse, there's this like widespread impulse to just like discredit her automatically and find her blameworthy. And (laughs) when women come forward against a powerful man, it's an even steeper credibility discount. You know, the men they accuse, um, they're readily believed. They're absolved of all the blame. They're granted outsized importance. And that's what happened. I mean, Johnny Depp is iconic and he's loved as an actor. So people didn't want to believe that the guy they swooned over as a teenager could be capable of the abuse that Amber Heard claimed. What was really striking to me, too, was that it was so clear that he is a man who is deeply troubled and and is really mired in addiction. Yes. Like, there is no doubt. He is a mess. And, you know, that has something that I think that impacted like that had something to do with his behavior. And I feel like that had to have been taken into account. Um, and, and I feel like it wasn't, you know, because here is this really young woman. I mean, Amber Heard is not old. Like, like she, she's, I would call her like probably a little inexperienced cause she's what in her twenties, maybe her early I 30s? believe she's in her th- 30s I want to say okay but But I feel like it's still like a huge age gap there is a huge age gap and so now she's here dealing with somebody who is so volatile and you know and abusive of her and I completely understood her lashing back I actually did not find that unusual yeah um you know of course people are gonna fight back yeah um but unfortunately and I I think Deborah Turkenheimer talks about it in her book. We have this need for women to be the perfect victim, you know? Right. Um, They're not allowed to um, have any kind of history or anything that makes them look promiscuous. They're not allowed to be reactive or be angry about the things that happen to them. And it's like, there's also this other standard where, you know, if she's crying, if she's showing all this like emotion, then she's labeled hysterical, right? Hysterical. Yep. And then, you know, if she's just trying to get through it and she's too stoic, stoic. yeah. (laughs) then it's like, oh, well, she's not credible. It it obviously didn't happen to this person because she's not showing enough emotion. So it's like, you can't win no matter what. <laughs> exactly. Like you're, you're stuck. Like it's like, you know, you, you have, and then on top of it, I was looking at the, the, the two of them going, who has the power in this relationship? Right. It wasn't her. It's about the power dynamic. It always is. That's what domestic violence is about. It's not about, um, it's not about sex or the relationship. It's about, it's about control. Um, yeah. I think that one of my favorite tropes for writing romance is second chance romance and friends to lovers. Mm. It's Mm -hmm. not like as exciting as enemies to lovers, but it really resonates with me. And it resonates with me because my life is about second chances. Um, I was with my ex-husband since I was 22. So that was around, I guess, like 14 years or so. And he was an anthropology major. And, um, you know, unfortunately, addiction doesn't care about class or race or, you know, where you went to school. 
And so what started out as like a recreational Coke addiction became Adderall and then it became meth. So I'm not good at reading the room because I'm autistic and I, I didn't fully realize the damage until our mortgage was in default. I mean, he was an alcoholic and there was domestic violence, but it took me a long time to separate the addiction from the violence because drugs only lower inhibition, but the domestic violence is about power. It's about control. And I never thought that I'd get remarried. Um, today's actually like my wedding anniversary. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, happy anniversary. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Ron and I, we've been together for four years. Uh, we were married in 2020 during COVID, which is actually a really funny story. Um, the courthouse was closed. <laughs> so how'd you do it? <laughs> well, there, there wasn't any justice of peace and um, internet ordained ministers weren't allowed according to the county laws where we lived. Um, unless they had a congregation that they actually preached to, like a physical congregation. Like, oh, what a weird law. I know, I know. So uh, my husband was determined and he found. Oh. This- <laughs> I love it. He found this Jewish rabbi who was willing to marry us in our backyard, but he was a prison rabbi for the county jail. So that was his congregation. <laughs> this is fabulous. <laughs> This is absolutely fabulous. I love this. So yeah, only our kids got to see us get married. Um, So we're doing a vow renewal next year at the Rosenbaum Museum in Philly. It's this literary museum. And they even have like the outline and the notes for Dracula on display. So (laughs) what a cool place. Yeah, it's, it's kind of perfect because they have some fine arts stuff. They're a literary museum, and um, I'm an author, and he's an artist, yeah, so it nice. just, it works. <laughs> Can I ask you, I mean, this is like, I mean, this is, this is about writing, not about relationships, but how did you guys meet? I'll be honest. Um, so my stepsister through marriage, um, Jamie, she... Um, started talking about this app called Zeus. Uh, it's a dating app. And I'm like, what's a Zeus? She's like, I'm on your phone. And she, she set up my profile. And, um, you know, I lived in, at the time, this was before I moved to the Philly suburbs. So I was up in Northeastern PA, which is very rural and yeah. not very liberal and not democratic. So I'm like flipping through like all of these pictures and they're these guys and they're wearing camo and they're holding up fish and they've got antlers in the background. And then I found Ron's profile and he was like, don't even talk to me or swipe on my profile if you voted for Trump. And this is what my political beliefs are. This is what I'm about. And I'm kind of an asshole. I'm like, I don't know why, but I'm intrigued. So So unlike the other people around me. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so we went to a a Chinese food restaurant for our first date and we were together ever since. So he, um, he and I just met at like kind of the perfect time in our lives. And, you know, he's got two kids uh, from his previous marriage that we have like 50% of the time. And, you know, I, I've got kids too. And we just have this really nerdy, like blended family because 
he runs his own business and he makes um, his own products for like Warhammer 40k and um, Star Wars and Star Trek small scale model building. So, oh my God, you guys are super nerdy. I love this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's more Star Trek. I'm more Doctor Who. So, but yeah. It, oh, you're perfect for each other. <laughs> yeah, it just it fits. <laughs> this is incredible. I love this story. What, what the? I love that. That's how you met, and like he lived in that area too, or did, or was this like? It's he, actually really funny because he is from Wildwood, New Jersey, and he lived in Philly like most of his life, and that's where. Um, he met his ex-wife and that's where all his kids were born. And then when they got a divorce, she moved back to her hometown. I'm originally from Baltimore and I ended up relocating up here due to relationship also. So neither one of us were kind of, we were both like city kids and kind of stuck in the rural. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Accidentally stuck in rural America or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it was, it was just kind of like ironic and kismet because if we hadn't have made like the decisions and like past relationships and to get us to move to the areas that we were, we would have never met. Yeah. It does. You know, I do think that there's something about fate. Right. And, and it's funny because I I promise we're tying this into writing Um, (laughs) because, because um, in the scene that you sent um, from from your book, Nin, Earth Girls Aren't Easy, book one from the Intergalactic Dating Agency, um, yeah, there there is this sort of faded mates thing going on. And I know some people struggle with, um, I guess faded mates get, get gets you over the insta-love hump, right? But yeah. but I think I, I am, a, I personally, and this is like what a flagged in something, you know, I'm just going to read like this bit because I was like, oh, I want to talk about this and we're talking about it now. Um, so this is a bit from Nin, Earth Girls Aren't Easy, book one. Um, Ferrix's voice was low and calm inside her mind. Don't worry, it'll be okay. By the way, Ferrix is an alien. It made her jump anyway. Kat didn't think she'd ever get used to the psychic, telepathic alien thing. Kat turned around and glared at him. What? You want to go home? What makes you think that, Kat asked. I know you. You don't know me at all, Kat spat. You've only known me, known me for a few days. You've been important to me since the beginning. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, you know, because, and I was like, what I sort of notated is we we catch a lot of shit. We writers, romance writers catch a lot of shit for insta-love. But I do feel like insta-love actually is a thing. I feel like you can't really get away with it in contemporary romance. But if you have like the faded mate thing going on with sci-fi or paranormal, you totally can but it's a bio like insta love is actually a biological response <laughs> like it's, it's like, like eating chocolate yeah it is it's like eating chocolate like that's why that's like why after sex like even if you have like a one night stand you still have the urge to cuddle because there is a chemical response like there is something happening to our brains um through orgasm that creates a bond with that person that we we were just with. And I guess like the bond can fade unless you just always have sex all the time. But <laughs> I kind of like, right. you know, cause I kind of feel like even with contemporary, like I get why people don't like insta love, but I also am like, actually it is a thing. I mean, I married my husband a month after we met. Aw. 
we've been together for 20 years. Um, oh goodness. Well, over 20 years. Um, most of my family still doesn't know. Um, but yeah, <laughs> we met and our first date, we were joking around and he was like, we, we said something about like getting married by Elvis at the exact same time. And a month later we were in Vegas getting married by Elvis. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's like, you know, and I mean, it's not to say that it's been easy. It's been, marriage is really fucking hard. Like it's a hard thing. Staying in a relationship is hard. Yeah. It's hard work. Um, but you know, like I just, I always say to him, I'm like, I can't be with it. Like if anything happened to him, if we split up, if anything like that happened, I'm done. Like, I feel like I've had my great love. I'm good. Oh, well, that's, that's know, amazing. Right? That's really sweet. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to make him listen to this now. Cause he's always like, you're not romantic at all. And I'm going to be like, please, I am. <laughs> So, I mean, that's why I thought it was like, I just, you know, I think that the, the faded mates idea is like, you're absolutely right. It is one way that we kind of get away with it, but I, I wish that there was a little bit more love and room for insta love, you know, cause I feel like you might've had it too with, you know, with, with Ron, where you were just like, we had that first date and it was like, we're done. We knew. I, I asked him one time and he kind of like dodges the question and he, he like won't give me a straight answer because I'm like well when did you know and he's like I don't know he's like I knew it like pretty early on and I'm like and I I do I do think that I think that he was definitely more like all in like right away and it took me like a little bit of time to like come to it because of my whole history my whole baggage yeah but it's like I think we were laying in bed together and we'd only been we only been dating like a couple of months and I just, I looked over him and I just knew, I knew that we were going to be together and this is, wasn't going to be like a casual kind of relationship. So I was just looking for, when I, I first signed up for that dating app, I just kind of wanted somebody to go out to dinner with someone to have fun with and companionship, you know, right. um, never imagined myself, as um, getting married and, you know, I, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change the past or any of the experiences that led up to our relationship because it wouldn't be the same. We wouldn't right. be the same people or right. appreciate or value what we have the way that we do. Right. And that's where fate comes in. Oh God, this is such a beautiful podcast. <laughs> Like, oh my god we're like it's so this is like a this is like probably the most romantic romance focused podcast I've done oh really wow yeah yeah like this is kind of awesome <laughs> I kind of wasn't expecting to go here you know I was like we're gonna we're gonna like be like the most feminine this is gonna be the most feminist podcast I've ever done and now it's turning into like probably the most romantic podcast I've ever done Aww. was totally not expecting that this is so cool yeah, I hate to say it. I'm kind of like a, a big mush, like on the inside. Like, I think that all romance authors are to a degree. Otherwise, we wouldn't be writing it. So, Yeah, I think that that is true. And I think that we just also want to, like, I know for me, like, I just want to write relationships that, 
Well, I, I write women focused, right? So I've tried, I've tried dual point of view all the time. I don't, I don't think I do it well. And my point of view is always through the, it's first person and it's always the woman's point of view. And that's like, I want to write stories for women and women who are strong on their own, but the person that they meet along the way kind of just helps them maybe realize that like helps become a better version of that just helps them become a better version of themselves yeah and so they don't necessarily need that person but because that person is there they it's just a better experience for them right like it's just yeah. it just sort of like is is just like just a better experience. And I think that I kind of had that with, with my, with my spouse. Aw. You know, you know, I think writers tend to, you know, we write what we know, right? That's what they always tell us when, you know, you go to these writing groups and you're starting out, they say, well, you know, how do you write a good story? You write and you flavor it with the things you have experience with. So You know, Kathy Kulig was my very first critique partner. She was part of the Greater Lehigh Valley Writers Group. And then we belonged to this RWA chapter together. And writing like my first sex scene was really awkward. It was like um, all this choreography going on and you have to remember where body parts are. Yes. (laughs) Consistent with, you know, what's going on with the clothes. And um, now readers expect so much more. I mean, sex scenes are way more realistic than they used to be. Like the older romances had these bodice rippers. And we all know that's not like how corsets come off. And, you know, as far as like relationships, I, I write these characters that these women have backstories where they've been through the shit. They've had, you know, really horrific stuff. They're like overcoming, um, being in an abusive relationship or maybe their a partner or family member um, had a substance use disorder problem, you know, because these are things that are real life. And I think that our, our experiences kind of work their way into our writing and that's what that it makes it more realistic. It's makes it good. Yeah. Yeah. I completely, I completely agree with that. And, um, and I love those, characters that you can just really relate to on such a real level do you do you write dual point of view or or no so um I my very first series was um vampires and it was vampires with bdsm and uh it was first person point of view and it was strictly um her her point of view Ride was written in a very close third person point of view. And I, I do have, um, you know, some of his thoughts too. I think actually the fact that I, uh, I'm autistic and I always, when I was growing up, I related more to guys than I did other women. Mm. It makes it a little bit easier for me to pull off the more nuanced, like stoic, Um, you know, I'm not going to tell you exactly what I'm thinking kind of thing that guys sometimes have going on. Right. And, um, so I do have stories that had both points of view. 
Okay. All right. Yeah, because I, I, I really struggle on the male point of view. And then I'm like, well, I'm writing story for, stories for women. So here we go. <laughs> um, you know, not to say I have given up. I wanna, uh, there is one that I'm working on that definitely has male point of view. Whether it stays in there, I do not know. But, <laughs> you know, I'm still working on it. <laughs> still working on it. So I know that um, I did a little bit from the scene, but I want to keep, I want to, I want to read some more because this is such a great scene. Um, and I was curious. So I'd love for you to like, first of all, why did you pick this particular one? I love this, this particular scene because you get to see her point of view with how she feels like she's being forced to leave earth with this, this alien guy and she's being pulled away from her life. She has this successful business. Um, she's in a kind of a relationship with this guy, and it's it's very awkward and rocky. Um, and you don't get to see his side of it until you dig into the next chapter. And then mm -hmm. with his alien telepathic powers, you can see exactly how much she really wants him, how she's conflicted over everything. And you see some of that in this. And... I, I love conflict. I love when there's like push and pull with characters. So that's kind of why I picked this one. Okay. Now this is the epilogue to Nin, which is coming out in September. Right. What? So this is going to be, I guess the next story is going to be Cat and Ferrix. Yeah. It's the uh, second book is going to be called Ferrix and um, it's going to be their story. Cool. And do you have a release date on that? Or are you still kind of like, eh, I sure. do. And it's Ooh. on my website, which I'm going to go pop over to now because <laughs> I, uh, I actually don't know when my book is coming out. <laughs> That's totally fine. Like if you ask me, oh, when's your next book coming? I'd be like, October. Sometimes. I don't know. Let's see. It is coming out. One second here. Okay. So Nin comes out on September 18th. Then Ferrix releases on October 9th. And then oh, the wow. third book, uh, Zavi, comes out October 30th. Oh my gosh, so this is a rapid release. Yeah. I said I so, wasn't going to do that. You did. <laughs> so, wait, so were this, these are new. These are not like your repubs, right? These are all new these stories. These are all new stories. Wow. How long does it take you to write a, like a book? Because this is amazing to me that you've got three ready to go. Okay. Well, I'm writing Ferrix now. I guess I ought to finish that since it's due in October. Um, and I actually have to go back and rewrite part of Nin, which is kind of unfortunate because it's already uploaded and edited and everything on all Ugh, the trailers for pre-order. But then, see, one of my characters in the second book, because I was writing by the seat of my pants, and I didn't know this. I didn't know. She told me she was dying. And, <gasps> and I'm like, really? Why do you have to go and do that to me? She's like, I don't know. I haven't even told my friends or anything yet. So, oh, like, man. And now I got to go back to book one and make sure that I have enough foreshadowing and nothing contradicting the fact that said person is dying. So it's, I, it took me, I think, for... And I meant for it to be strictly a novella. It came in at more like mm. 3,000 words, which is considered a small book. Because right. <laughs> all of the, um, the intergalactic dating agency, the world building rules was we were supposed to write no more than 35,000 words for a novella. <laughs> and um, it took me three weeks 
I think, to write the whole thing. And then probably I spent a week with it in edits before it got sent off. So a month. That's actually pretty speedy. I'm super impressed with that. I'm slow. I'm so slow. I think the maximum amount of words that I've written in one day is like almost 9,000. It it just depends. Sometimes certain scenes come out faster than others. And believe it or not, sometimes the sex scenes are the ones that are kind of like, you know, pulling teeth because. Oh, I believe that because that's they're the hardest for me to write. Yeah. And there's been times in the past where I've actually, um, I don't always write linearly. I like in, in a stream of these events happen in order. Sometimes if I have like, you know, a certain scene in my head, I'll skip to that one. Or if it's a sex scene and I'm having like a really hard time with it, I'll be like, Oh, I'm just going to skip over that and then move on. So yeah, I, I've done that. I don't work great with that. Like sometimes I just have to muscle through, but it just sucks because I know it's going to be like, oh, that this is going to be my really low word count day and I'm going to have to make up for this somewhere. Yeah. You know, which just like, like super sucks. Like I wish I, but for me, it's just so hard to kind of like go back to like move forward and then jump back. I need to definitely go linear, go in that sort of more orderly fashion. I Um, forget where I read this, but it was another author who said this, so I can't take credit for it. And I can't even credit them because I can't remember who who said it. But um, one of the things that was writing advice that I remember someone saying to me was, you know, no matter what, work on your story. If you're in the middle of writing a book or writing a story, work on it a little bit every day. Yeah, because it's a lot easier to pick back up and jump into something when it's current and it's fresh in your head. Otherwise, if you can't do that, you need to leave yourself really detailed notes of where you left off. So you can kind of like pick back up because otherwise it's hard. Now, even even when you have an outline, depending on what your method is or a beat sheet or what have you, you still need to know where you're at. Right. I'm mostly pants. And I think it's hilarious because I write series and I'm always like, and people like I have, I do not have my series plotted out. I have no idea whose book is coming next. I mean, like, it's just, it is so, and, and so like what you say when somebody pops up and I'm like, oh shit, I hope that I can make this work with whatever happened before in the series. It, um, I write a variety of ways I've done, um, writing by the seat of my pants. My entire vampire series was like that. I didn't have it plotted or anything like that. Um, I had it loosely rattling around in my head, but I just sort of like, I sat down, I started writing and boom. Um, Ride was written with a spreadsheet, was Save the Cat. Oh um, yeah, I've tried Save the Cat, yep. Which, but it was just like basic, like, okay, this this plot point, that plot point, not like a chapter by chapter, like, you know, whole entire outline. Now, I, I did do that for a YA novel that I have on my hard drive yet to finish because it's painful. <laughs> but I also, <laughs> I find that, you know, writing stream of conscious, seat of my pants, the words come out a lot faster. So, yeah, and yeah. it's easier for me. 
Yeah. And I find if I do have the outline, I go off the rails. Like I will be good for like the first three chapters. And then all of a sudden I will just go in a completely different direction. And seven chapters later, I look at my outline and I'm like, I did nothing. I did nothing that was here. I did nothing. Yep. So I end up throwing it away anyway, you know? (laughs) Okay. Digging into the next little bit between, um, Eric's and Kat. Um, And I should, yeah, so I should also add, like, he's basically taken her on the spaceship and she was not expecting this. She doesn't want to go. Um, Why did she have to get on the spaceship to begin with? Well, the last chapter before it gets to the epilogue, um, they, okay, so the evil villain in this story is Ruth from the Homeowners Association. (laughs) Okay. That's kind of perfect. Yes. And and so, you know, originally it was just supposed to be um, Kat's best friend taking off with Nin and they're going to like, you know, pick up these other women in Philly after they get some cheesesteaks and they're going to go off to their planet. And it's going to be great. I love the cheesesteaks. You know, Ruth from the Homeowners Association, she comes into the backyard and there's a spaceship and she is just like screaming bloody murder. And there's this big whole, you know, altercation and, you know, she grabs a blaster and, you know, she shoots Nin and there's there's blood. There's a lot going on um, before it gets to this epilogue. And so police come because, of course, the neighbors, they call the police and <laughs> the nosy neighbors. Yeah. They're storming up the driveway and then Zavi's big ass bumps like, you know, the dashboard and, you know, Nin had already put in the coordinates. So the spaceship took off with all the women in it because they were packing everything up to say goodbye to, um, you know, Ray because Ray was leaving with Nin and that's, it was kind of like an accident. (laughs) Oh my God. This is amazing. Okay. That sounds like a wild sort of like penultimate chapter I guess or I guess final chapter before the epilogue so that sounds amazing actually oh my god I'm excited to read this whole book now um okay I don't want anything from you I know you're angry with me now Ferrix kept his voice slow and steady but you will want me You'll want to be in my arms and feel me inside you. I can sense it and hear it in your thoughts even now. You're mine and you belong to me. Cat yanked out of his arms again. I don't belong to anybody. You are mine. Your mind, body, spirit, and every part of you belongs to me. His mind was inside her. His telepathy, touching her, stroking her with desire. Cat's knees were getting weak. She envisioned turning and wrapping her arms around him. Cat could almost feel her hands touching his skin and the warmth of his body as she imagined giving into her desire. But she wasn't going to give in to that fantasy. She loved her life on Earth. He'd taken her against her will. Cat was conflicted because she craved him and didn't want to and didn't want to ache for him. His lips pursed together and her mouth formed a thin line. No, I'm not gonna agree to that. I love how she's fighting it. Like, I just love how she's like, you know, she, and I have to say her boyfriend sounds like a bit of an ass. Cause we got like a little bit, like there's like just this little like mention of him and she's kind of like, yeah, he's been like this jerk lately, but it's okay. Like he's my boyfriend, you know? And like, and so like, I'm kind of like, oh, oh, cat, why not have a good time with sexy alien dude? Right. Like, well, why so not? 
kind of her whole thing and the reason why she kind of went for guys that were jerks she well for one she has childhood baggage and all kinds of drama but two she decided that you know what she was going to do with the time that she has left because you know um she's dying you know um she just wanted to have a good time and so rick was completely the wrong guy for her. Her boyfriend on earth is a complete player and a dick. And that's, that's what she was into. She was into that, that she, she also wants to feel love. She wants to feel connection. She wants to have somebody comfort her. Right. And, you know, the scary part is, is they're kind of wrong for each other, but right too, because Ferrix has this entire backstory that she doesn't know because you know, on his planet, women have a really hard time with fertility. And mm -hmm. so he had a wife, he had a wife and a partner, and she died during childbirth. You know, um, part of the reason why they went to Earth to find women to take back home with them is um, to, to breed, to procreate for their species and their survival. And he, he doesn't really want to have a partner, didn't want to have a partner until he met Kat and realized that they were fated mates and that they were supposed to be together. Right. But she has no idea about his backstory. And then he has no idea about her backstory and that maybe the same thing could happen that happened to his wife. So there's a lot going on. I find it really interesting that you wrote an alien world where essentially they're they 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 are they have a fertility problem there and so they are looking to women as like sort of you know the baby carriers and considering what's happening in our country right now like i kind of find this super fascinating um and wondering like is there like there's a subversion here somewhere yes um, i'm guessing <laughs> yeah i'm guessing <laughs> Yeah. Based on our, all our conversation, based on our conversation, I'm guessing there is a subversion in here. Yeah, there, there definitely is. And um, I, I've also found that I've rewritten some things. Like I have a contemporary story that um, I'm actually, I put together this charity anthology called Not Well-Behaved Women. Yes. And it's um, me and, you know, uh, 17 other authors. And my story in that is called Her Playbook. And it's about um, this character that, you know, she's a lawyer, she's powerful. And I did rewrite parts of it to um, talk about the fall of Roe v. Wade and things like that. And all the proceeds for it are going to go to the Center for Reproductive Rights in New York. Good. Excellent. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to read a little bit more here. Kat tried to push away the overwhelming feeling of despair. Kat didn't know how to get home, but she had to try. She was lost and scared, but clung to the hope that somehow she could figure out a way back. Kat didn't know how things worked on Arion, but on Earth, you couldn't proclaim that a woman belonged to you like she was property. Kat wanted love, but she was pretty damn sure he was incapable of it. Taking a mate was about procreation. She wasn't his love, his sole desire. Little does she know. The only thing he wanted was a womb to bear his offspring. She'd been captured and manipulated by him. Ferrix has held her tight as Ferrix had held her tight as the door to the latch was closing. Even as she struggled to get free, Kat didn't want to give herself to him, but she didn't have any choice. 
The hatch closed, separating them from the outside world. She was trapped and heading to Arion with him. I was like, oh my God, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, not true. Like, I think that this is so interesting because he is saying to her, we are fated to be together. And she is like, nope, you just want me because I'm a receptacle. Like, it's really just kind of interesting. It's the, this dynamic right now. A communication, um, like lost in translation kind of thing. And in the first book, they um, they cameoed like a lot in Nin. And, you know, there's there's always been like a lot of push and pull with them because he's, you know, she flirted with him and was like really attracted to him when they first met. And then, you know, he found out because he's telepathic that she has this guy, she has Rick. And, you know, he had, he had this like moral sense that he's like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to reject you because you're with somebody else. And Mm. so she became really insulted over that. And they've always had like this back and forth, back and forth. But she knew that the reason why they came to earth was because their planet is having, you know, these fertility issues. So it's, um, a lot of like miscommunications. Uh, there's so many like miscommunications in all my stories. I think it features hev- heavily because I'm I'm not great at social context. So right. I love when characters just get it so wrong because how many times do we like assume we know? Yeah, and we don't. We know nothing. Like, the other person's thinking. Yeah. Yeah, we get it all. Right. Yeah, and, and we know nothing. I mean, I think that, and, and you know, this can frustrate some readers, but I actually find that so truthful because, again, like for me, I'm pretty buttoned up. Like, I'm, I don't really like talk about my feelings that, you know, like I'm not, that's not who I am necessarily, you know? Um, and so I'll hold a lot back. And, and I think that that can be like, you know, affect my communication in my relationships, you know, obviously. And so, and, and it does create some miscommunication. And I think that that is just part of life, right? Like we constantly miscommunicate. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it it can lead to like a lot of like really comedy of errors kind of like situations when you're writing. Right, right. And I know people are like, well, they just weren't communicating. It's like, yeah, but who does really? Like who communicates really, really well? The Cosby's, (laughs) even then. Even then, maybe not so much. So it happened there. Yeah. You know, but you know what I mean? Like that only happens on TV sitcoms, you know? Like right. people don't communicate like that. They really don't. That's not real life. Yeah. That is not real life. Okay, now we're getting really kind of sexy here. So <clears throat> here we go. Oh, wait, before we get sexy. Sorry, y'all. I know you're all like, get to the sexy bit. Get to the real sexy bit. But I have a question mm-hmm. um, that I'm going to tie in. When... The aliens came to Earth. Was this a surprise or did every did did we already know aliens exist? They're out there. Sometimes they visit or maybe they don't visit. But oh, look, the aliens came to visit. That's exciting. Like or or was this like holy shit aliens? Holy shit aliens. No, okay. No. Okay. Come with me, Ferrix commanded, grabbing her arm and guiding her down a set of stairs. They walked past a closed door where she heard raised moans. Her friend was probably locked in a pair Bond, a pair bonded embrace with Nin. No, I'm not going with you, Cap protested. Ferrix opened a door and dragged her to the bed. You need to get some rest. Cap yelped as Ferrix pushed her onto the bed, his hand pressing into her shoulder. She writhed beneath him, trying to get away from his touch. The bed was soft, but he positioned himself behind her in a stance meant for claiming. She fought against him, but his grip was firm. 
His breath on the back of her neck was hot and his hand tightened on her shoulder as he tried to keep her still. Kat clenched her jaw. I am not going to be your mate. You can stop it. You can't stop it. You can't deny me. Not when I can feel how much you want me and I can smell your desire. If you don't give in to me, you'll be left unsatisfied. And it's a long way to Arian. Ferex wasn't wrong because of her hunger for him. It would require a cold shower if he didn't make her come, but that was beside the point. Kat always gave in and fell for men because of chemistry, but it was never enough. Rick made, made her feel things she'd never felt the day She'd never felt that day beside the pool. She deserved better and wouldn't let Ferex have her just because they were stuck on this ship together. I don't want you, Kat tried to deny what he was saying was true, but found it hard to resist. Kat didn't want to feel the, the desire racing through her body, the need for his touch, his kiss. No matter how much she tried to fight it, she couldn't deny that she did want him. Kat wanted him so fucking bad. He was sexy and gorgeous and made her feel things she'd never felt. She also knew how wrong it was to take away her choice by holding on to her while the hatch was closing. Kat couldn't be with someone who would do that to her. Her body betrayed her. The wetness that pulled between her legs was proof of that, and she hated herself for it. Ferrick stroked her back and leaned his body against her. Her body was drawn to him. She could feel his thick cock pressing against her, and she ached to have him inside her. Even as she thought it, she knew it was wrong. She didn't want to be a broodmare, to be taken by someone who wanted to breed her, fuck her like an animal. You can't say no, can you? Ferex asked, his voice husky and seductive. The bed sank deeper as Ferex shifted his weight behind her. She was trapped beneath him, his hips pressing into hers and his hard cock pressing against her sex. Her breath caught as the bed creaked under his weight and the heat of his body pressed against her. She wanted to give in to him, to feel his cock inside her. Cat resisted him no matter how good it felt because she refused to be bred. I don't want you. Cat, lie to yourself, but don't lie to me. You want me. You need me. Ferrick spread her legs. He was hard and she could feel every inch of him pressing against her. The only thing separating them was the thin fabric of their clothes, which only served to produce more delicious friction. His cock was like a brand against her and she ached to have him inside her. She wanted him to fill her up and make her come undone. I don't need you. Kat turned her head with a heated gaze that would have lasered into him if she had that power. She focused on the headboard and blocked out the passion burning inside her, but was pulled back by his hand on her chin. Ferrix tilted her head back so that she was forced to look at him. He was so close to her and his body was so strong and beautiful. She wanted so badly to touch him, kiss him, feel his skin against hers, feel him deep inside her. Oh my God. Hello. They are so dancing on such a line here. I kind of loved it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it, and I really loved um, the next chapter after this goes into um, his point of view. Oh, okay. And um, I'm not going to, well, I, I, I guess I will spoil it. They do end up, um, you know, having sex, it is consensual. She actually verbalizes and does consent to um, pair bonding with him. And then during the pair bond, things get a little bit awkward because, you know, my aliens, there is some comedy, but it's dark and gritty too. They tend to like glow blue and their markings on their chest glow when they, you know, pair bond and they orgasm and all that stuff. But you know, another thing that happens is you can see into each other's mind. So 
before the telepathy was very one-sided. You know, he can mm. like read her thoughts, but you know, she can't see what's going on with him. And she starts to get these flashes during their pair bonding oh. about, you know, this woman and, and he, she doesn't know about his, his wife that he had. And she just knows that he's in a lot of pain and that there's this painful memory, but she doesn't know the full details because it's just coming at her in images. So right. it's, um, I love writing stuff like that. It's, it's part of the reason why I love paranormal and sci-fi so much. I, yeah, I, I agree. I wrote, um, when I started writing, I was writing urban fantasy and I absolutely love it and need to get back to it because I, you know, I miss, I miss being able to create these sort of super powered beings. Yeah. You know, I think that is so like so much fun to like give them powers that you like wish you had, you know, and how do they use them? And like, like you know, that, that, that sort of thing, like really, I just dig that. Plus I really love a good ghost story, like ghost witches, demons. Like, yeah. That's the difference all day. between like paranormal and like paranormal romance. You either want to fuck a ghost or you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm curious, what do you think draws readers to aliens and and monsters? Like we because this really is a, a growing genre and I'm kind of curious like what is it about that sort of you know because I think it's I think it's a little different from paranormal. Yeah, um well, I think the same reason applies to them both and I think it's this universal fantasy of you know wanting to be drawn out of your mundane boring life and the everyday experiences around you and some of them are pretty stressful and you're in this fantastical world with these fantastical creatures and beings and mm -hmm. it's completely different from what you experience every day in your life so right it's taking you out of the provincial normal boring to something else and how do you make an alien sexy <laughs> Well, um, mine actually, like some people have gone like the shifter route or, you know, if you're writing like alien monster romance, they've got tentacles, they've got all kinds of stuff going on. Mine um, tend to have these, they're more human looking and they tend to have these markings on their chest that grow blue and, and they have these powers like, you know, Ferrix has these energy blades that extend from his fingers, you know, kind of like Wolverine. Um, Ooh. yeah, so it's, there's all kinds of ways to make, you know, alien sexy. <laughs> oh my God. This has been such a treat. Um, thank you so much for doing this, AC James. This was super fun. No, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Oh. Thanks for having me. So, um, where can people find you on the internet? Like, where do you hang out the most? Uh, I probably hang out the most um, on Facebook and okay. they can find me at www.acjames.com. I'm super easy. Perfect. And I will have links to all your places um, in the, in the show notes as well. So people can find you easily. Oh, thank well, you. AC, thank you so much for being here. This was like such a great conversation. I absolutely loved it. Oh, absolutely. Me too. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening and huge thank you to AC for her candor and for such an incredible conversation. 
The crazy fun Erin LaRosa is on the steam seat next time. So be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, stay steamy.